Have you ever had one of those moments uh, in your life where um, you know something has to change, but you don't know how to make it change? right? There's those things that you feel like maybe there's something you need to stop doing or there's something you need to start doing and you've tried to stop doing that thing or you've tried to start doing that thing and it just didn't work and you feel stuck and you just, you know something needs to change, but you're just not sure how to actually make that happen. At our men's retreat uh, last weekend, Stephen talked about four different areas of our lives, of ourselves, four parts that make up who we are. And this is a slide that he put up there, and his slides are way cooler um, than mine. Uh, but he talked about there's the physical or biological part of us, the psychological or emotional, social or relational, and then there's that spiritual or transcendent um, aspect of us. And they're not compartmentalized like this, right? They're, they're integrated into who we are. And whenever something's going on in one of these areas, it really affects all of the areas of our lives. So maybe it's something physical, right? Um, your body is not healthy and you know it because you don't eat very well or you don't exercise or you're not sleeping well at night or you get headaches often. And, and that affects every other part of your life. Or maybe it's emotional or psychological, uh, you're stressed out all the time, or you're anxious, you're anxious about work, uh, you're anxious about a family situation, um, you're anxious about your finances, right, making ends meet, you're anxious about something that's going on at school, um, and you don't sleep well at night because of that, you're lying awake thinking about it, and it really does affect, it starts to affect everything else in your life, not just because of the stress, but what's happening up here and what's happening in here can begin to work its way into everything, or uh, maybe it's socially or relationally. Your family's a mess. Or there's a specific relationship that's broken and um, it's hurting and it's hard. Um, or maybe you moved to Denver not too long ago and you thought you would have a group of friends or a community right now by, by this point in your life, but you don't and you just feel lonely. Or maybe there's a group of friends that you do have and they're not helping or they're difficult in your life, but you don't know how to distance yourself from them, and that can affect everything in our lives. And then there's that spiritual aspect as well. Whenever we feel dis disconnected from God, whenever we go through one of those seasons where we seem to be finding our identity and worth in something other than God, we're not really grounded or centered, and there's something else, or, or maybe there's even a, a deep issue of, of pride or or selfishness, or there's an addiction, or there's, but there's something that's pulling our, our time and our energy and our focus away, and it's not really God, and we sense that, and we know that, and it's affecting everything. And the reality is, most of us are aware of something in one of these areas of our lives that probably needs to change. I mean, maybe there's something in every area for you right now, but even as I went through those, and if you were the ministry, as Stephen talked through those, probably there was one area, or at least one thing in one of these areas where you thought, I, yeah, something's got to change there. I need to change my patterns, or my habits, or my behaviors, or there's, there's something I'm doing, or there's something I need to stop doing, and it needs to change, but you feel stuck because you just don't know how to make that happen. Stephen talked about some really helpful long-term ways that we can pursue change in those areas in our lives. And so um, if you weren't at the men's retreat uh, last weekend, you need to find somebody who was. And you need to ask them, what did they learn while they were there? And what are they doing as a result? But today, 
I want to read a story to you that I think is going to give us all a jump start on that in our lives. It's almost like uh, hooking up the jumper cables and helping us get to the repair shop. What, are the, what, what is something that we can do that can give us a jump start at seeing real change happen in a specific area of our lives? Now first, I want to give you some context for this story. We've been following the ancient nation of Judah, and this is a map that we showed um, last week. Um, and the reason this nation is called Judah is because in 931 BC, Solomon was the king of Israel, and after he died, his son Rehoboam was going to become the next king. Um, but there was a big split. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And the nation split into two, into two nations. And so the ten tribes in the north kept the name Israel, and from that time on, they went by the name of Israel. And the two tribes in the south took on the name of Judah. So Rehoboam was really the first king of the nation of Judah. Um, and then there were many other kings. Last week we looked at one of the other kings. His name was Jehoshaphat, and he did some pretty cool stuff. Um, and before we get to the next king we're going to talk about today, uh, there's a few really important things that happened in the 8th century B.C. Um, that I want to tell you about. First, um, in 722, the Assyrian Empire, which is not on this map, they're to the northeast in modern-day Iraq. The Assyrian Empire swept down and they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They, they swept in, they conquered all of the towns, they killed many of the people, they basically wiped the nation off of the map, and they assimilated everything in the north up there into the Assyrian Empire. The nation of Israel, for the most part, was no more. Now Judah in the south was able to defend itself against the Assyrians because they made an alliance with the Assyrians. They basically went to the king of Assyria at the time and they said, hey, we'll give you gold and we'll give you treasure and we'll bow down and worship you and we'll do whatever you say if you will just please not attack us and take us over like you did to Israel. And for the most part, the Assyrians didn't. They left them alone, except in 701 B.C., the Assyrian king at that time, his name was Sennacherib, he laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, and he tried to conquer it, but he eventually couldn't conquer it. The people of Judah were able to hold out behind the walls of Jerusalem and keep the city. Now, just a quick side note, um, if you're here today and you tend to be somebody that thinks, well, these are just kind of stories from the Bible, right? You need to know these are not just stories from the Bible. They're not fables. They're not myths. They're not just ancient legends. Um, these kinds of stories are also told in all kinds of other records that we found from the ancient Near East. Here's one example. Uh, this is from the annals of Sennacherib. This is an inscription that was discovered in what is now Baghdad, which back then was basically Nineveh, the capital of um, Assyria. Um, and this inscription describes Sennacherib's relationship with the nation of Judah. It describes him receiving tribute from the kings of Judah. It describes how he decided to attack Judah anyways in the year 701 BC, how he laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, but how he also couldn't conquer the city of Jerusalem. In fact, we actually have three complete inscriptions that all detail this relationship between Assyria and Judah at that time. And so again, if you happen to be someone who you know, hears these stories from the Old Testament and, and is a little bit doubtful of them, and I totally get that. There's some strange stories in the Old Testament. And you think, are these just made up? Are these fables? You need to know they're not. I mean, this is history. This is, this is told in all the records that we find all over 
the ancient Near East. So that's what happened in 701. Just a few years later, a guy named Manasseh becomes the king over Judah. And the Hebrew records record that Manasseh was one of the worst kings in the history of the Hebrew people. Manasseh not only paid tribute to the other kings and the king of Assyria, but he also decided that he wanted to adopt their beliefs and their gods and their religious practices. And so he began to experiment by setting up these high places all over the nation of Judah. And a high place was originally on top of a hill or a mountain, but then they were pretty much everywhere, but they still were called high places. And these were places where other altars were set up to other gods, where there were poles or statues or pillars or idols set up, where people could come, Jewish people could come and worship other pagan gods at that time. Manasseh also um, killed a bunch of the Hebrew priests and prophets, and he replaced them with other priests who would lead the people into worshiping these other idols and these other gods. We're told that he introduced child sacrifice. There was a valley just outside of Jerusalem where people would go and they began sacrificing their children to these other gods and idols. He also destroyed all of the copies of the Old Testament law of Moses, because basically he wanted to be the law. And that's what all dictators do. If you study any dictator throughout history, one of the first things they do is set aside the laws of the land so that they can be the laws of the land and do whatever they want. Manasseh ruled for 55 years over the people of Judah. And the Old Testament says at the end of his reign that he did more harm to the faith and the future of the Hebrew people from the inside than any of their enemies ever did from the outside. So after he died in 642, his son Ammon became king. And Ammon followed in the footsteps of his father. He did all of the same things. He kept all the same destructive patterns and habits, and nothing changed, and after two years, he was assassinated. (laughs) And in 640 BC, we're told that Ammon's son, who's only eight years old at the time, when his father is killed, is crowned the next king of Judah, and his name is Josiah. And Josiah's story is amazing, because when he gets old enough for the first few years, his counselors and other regents sort of rule for him. But when he gets old enough, he's able to turn the entire nation around. He's able to take all of the destructive habits, all of the terrible things that they've been doing that have been ruining their lives and their faith, and he's able to help the people see genuine and lasting transformation. How in the world does he do it? Well, let's read the story real quick and see. Here's what it says, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. So he becomes king when he's eight years old, Um, but when he's 16, that's when he really takes over leadership, and that's when he makes some really important decisions. 
In fact, the first decision he makes is probably the decision that every single one of us also have to make. If we want to see any kind of change or any kind of transformation happen in areas of our own lives. And here was the decision. Josiah simply found a new role model. He found a new role model. It says that he began to follow in the ways of his father David. Now, if you happen to be listening two minutes ago, uh, who was Josiah's father? Ammon, right? It wasn't David. David was not his father. Ammon was his father. Ammon was king for two years, and then he was assassinated. And Ammon had all these terrible habits that he had inherited from his father, who was Josiah's grandfather, and that was Manasseh, who had ruled for 55 years and was the one who had set all of these Terrible examples and patterns and behaviors and habits. And so David was not Josiah's literal father. David was the famous king that we all are aware of, probably, who ruled in Israel 350 years before. Josiah is a descendant of David, but he is 16 generations removed from David. But Josiah realized something really important. If he was going to see any kind of change happen, if he wanted to be a good leader, if he wanted to follow God, if he wanted to to change the trajectory of the nation, he was going to have to find a new role model to follow. He couldn't follow in the footsteps of his father Ammon, and he could not follow in the footsteps of his grandfather Manasseh. In fact, if he continued to follow in their footsteps, it would keep them in the same destructive patterns and habits that they were in at that moment. And so apparently there were enough stories still told about who David was and what kind of leader David was that Josiah decided, I'm going to begin to follow the model and the example of David. And I think the lesson for us is really, really simple. If there's something important in your life that needs to change, you need to find a new role model. If you want to get unstuck from the unhealthy habits or patterns that you have in your life, if you want to embrace some new habits and some new healthy patterns in your life, it starts with finding a new role model. So for Josiah, it was David. For us, for you, who's that going to be? Who's the actual person, a living person, that you can look to and you can say, you know what? The one area in my life that I want to get healthy that's so unhealthy right now, I look at their life and they feel, it looks like they have it together in that area. I, I want to I I see my finances the way they see their finances. I want to see my relationships or my marriage the way they live out their marriage. I want to be healthy physically the way they're healthy physically. They, they don't have the stress and anxiety emotionally that so many other people and that I have. I don't know how they do it, but I want that. Who's the person in your life that can be a role model in that specific area where you would love to see change? And that person's not going to be perfect, right? David wasn't perfect. We've read enough stories about him to know he didn't have it all together in his life. But he knew enough about leadership, and he had done enough things that for Josiah, he could look to David and say, that's the kind of king and the kind of leader that I want to be. 
So what kind of role model are you going to find? It might not even be someone you know very well. It might be someone where you just see that one area of your life and you go up to them and you don't say, hey, can you please be my role model? Right? You don't say that, but you go up to them and you simply say, hey, can you teach me what you've learned in this area? You have some healthy patterns and habits in, in this one area and I don't. Can you just... Can you just show me how you got to that place? I mean, I'm mean, sure at some place in your life you went through some changes. Can you tell me how that happened in your life? Can I share a little bit of my life with you and how I've struggled in that area? And would you be willing to help me out a little bit? And this takes humility. Because most of us don't like to go to somebody else and ask for help. We keep thinking that we'll just figure it out on our own. Like, we can figure this out on our own. But here's the deal. If you keep thinking that, nothing's ever going to change. Nothing has changed so far. You've been trying on your own for a long time, and it hasn't worked. And so we need the humility to be able to go to somebody else and say, I have not got this figured out, and I feel like, or at least it looks like you kind of do. Maybe it's not perfect for you, but you're definitely a few steps ahead of me. Can you help me? Can I learn from you? It requires time. This doesn't happen in just one meeting or one sort of lunch, right? It requires some initiative. You're going to have to take the initiative. At the end of the sermon, we're not going to have role models standing at the back waiting for you to sign up for one of them, right? You're going to have to take that step of faith yourself and say, I want to grow in this area and everything I've tried so far has just not worked. Who's somebody that I can go and learn from? <laughs> if you want to get unstuck, if you want to see real change happen, I think that's the first decision you have to make, just like Josiah made. I need to find a new role model. Now let me show you something else he did. This is from the very next verse. It says, In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols, under his direction, the altars of the Baals were turned down, torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them, and he smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces, and he scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. This is great because it says after in his 12th year, so that means four years later have happened since the last verse we read. And you see how this takes time, right? We want to find a new role model on Tuesday and see change happen by Thursday. And that's just not the way it works. And so for him, he's reading about David, he's learning about David, he's trying to become the key, kind of leader that David became. And it takes weeks and months and sometimes it takes years. And apparently, four years later, he decides it's time to step up and address some of the terrible and unhealthy and destructive habits and patterns of the entire nation. And he knows for him, he has to start in that fourth category, the spiritual patterns and habits. That they had been worshiping all of these other gods and all of these other idols, and until they dealt with that, they weren't going to be able to deal with anything else. And so he goes to these high places, he goes to all of these pagan altars and he begins tearing them down. 
He makes this commitment to purge all of the land of anything and everything that has the potential to pull people back into the habits and the patterns that they're trying to break free of. And so he's going to these high places and he's chopping these altars to pieces. Right? He's smashing them up. He's grinding them into powder. He goes and he digs up the bones of the dead pagan priests who had led the people to sacrifice their children to these gods. He digs up their bones and he starts crushing them and burning them into ashes and powder. And he's basically saying, look, we are going to take this seriously. We're going to get rid of anything that could drag us back into worshiping other things. In fact, he takes this so seriously. Look at what it says next. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles, and he crushed the idols to powder, and he cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. You notice that last line? It says, he went back to Jerusalem, meaning he didn't give this order to other people. He didn't just send a memo across the entire nation, right? He didn't just send posters. Hey, could you post this in the local break rooms, everybody? Hey, can you stop going to the high places? They're bad for you. He literally went out and did this himself. And so here's the thing that I think we can learn from this. Here's the thing that we need to do. The second thing, at least, if we want to see change happen in our lives, we need to purge our lives of the things that are destroying us. If you're serious about change, you need to figure out what are the things that are cultivating and propagating the very things I don't want to do anymore, and you need to purge your life of those things. So some of us probably spend way too much time watching TV or playing video games, right? It's become an addiction. And so you realize it and you know it because you're kind of lethargic because you're always on the couch all the time and then you can't go to sleep at night because your mind is just like wanting to play games and be like entertained and have something going on up there and and it's creating conflict because other people are saying hey you spend so much time doing that and you wish you could just kind of scale it back a little bit right you want to just say well it's not really that big of a problem I'll just kind of scale it back and not do as much and I think if Josiah were here today he would say that doesn't work you've been trying that for years and it doesn't work that's like the alcoholic who says like it's not really a problem I can just scale it back a little bit Ask the alcoholic's family how well that actually works. And so I think Josiah would say, hey, just sell your gaming system. Just, just get rid of it, right? Maybe you just need to unsubscribe from Netflix or from Hulu. Did I hear a, <gasps> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jack, we'll talk about that. <laughs> that was the Holy Spirit, I think. Um, <laughs> But there is that sense of like, oh my gosh, we can't do that. Unsubscribe from Netflix or Hulu or get rid of cable. Maybe it's the TV in your bedroom. Maybe you just need to take it out of your bedroom. Maybe it's just getting rid of the TV altogether. I think Josiah would say, you just need to purge. I mean, if you want to see change happen, this is how it happens. 
Maybe your issue is different. Maybe you buy too much stuff, right? Your finances are a mess. Your credit cards are maxed out. You're in debt. And, and simply put, you just spend more than you make. You're, you're, you're spending on more things than you have the capacity to pay for. And so you want to see real change happen? You cancel Amazon Prime and you cut up your credit cards, right? I mean, you just get rid of the things that make it easy to buy things, and you move to cash, right? Remember that thing, cash? And you just take a little bit of cash every week that you have, and you say, this is all I'm going to spend on gas and going out, and when it's done, it's done. I'm not going to buy anything else. You purge your life of the things that are creating the mess that you're trying to change. And you might say, well, that sounds really nice, but do you know how inconvenient it is to buy things without a credit card? Yeah, that's kind of the point, right? I mean, that's the point. Make it inconvenient to keep buying things that you don't really need. Purge your life of those things that are making it too easy for you to just keep living the way you're living. You want to stop spending hours every day on your phone or on social media? Right? And most of us are kind of convicted about this. We know, and I know, like we're just on our phones and we're on social media and we're checking things all the time, right? And if so, if you want to see that change, it's really easy. Just get rid of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and anything else. They just close your accounts and take the apps off of your phone. Well, can I just dial it back a little bit? No. Like we've tried that. We've all tried that and we can't do it. It doesn't work. And we wonder why we're so anxious all the time, we're so jittery, right? Or we have such short attention spans, or why it's so difficult to have real conversations and real relationships with people. And there's no coincidence that suicide, anxiety, and depression rates have, ridden, have risen rapidly and steadily since 2007, the year the iPhone was introduced. Some of us need to purge our lives of the devices or the apps or the subscriptions that are keeping us in the destructive habits that we keep wanting to see change. Maybe there's a person in your life that's destructive and you just need to stay away from them. Maybe there's a place that you go and that's what it is. I don't know what it is for you, but change often requires taking measures like that. And it's not just trying harder, and it's not just a change of attitude. There's usually an actual object, or a person, or a subscription, or a place that we need to take a break from. And sometimes purging is temporary, right? I need to temporarily purge this from life. Sometimes it needs to be permanent. But I don't think we'll see real change until we follow Josiah's example here. Now, there's one more thing. Uh, Josiah got a new role model. He purged the land, but there's one more thing that he did, and I want to share it real quickly with you. Um, and let me summarize it. By the time of Josiah's reign, um, Manasseh, his grandfather, had shut down all of the worship at the temple. So initially, Manasseh had set up idols and poles and all kinds of things, and they were worshiping other gods at the temple in Jerusalem. And finally, Manasseh just did away with that, and they ended up shutting down the worship services and all the festivals that they would do there annually, and they just closed up the doors of the temple. They shut it and closed it, and nobody went there anymore. 
He had also destroyed all of the copies of the law. And so Josiah got this idea. We need to stop worshiping all these other things, and we need to go back to worshiping God. And so he went in to clean up the temple and restore it so people could worship God there. And the workers went in to do that, and they went into this old closet, right? And in this old closet, they found a copy of the law of Moses. And these had been all destroyed by Manasseh, or Manasseh thought he had destroyed all of them. And so up until this point, they had heard that our nation used to live by these laws, and they had heard stories about what they were, but they didn't really know. And so Josiah says, come and would somebody please read these laws to me? And we're told that when these laws are read aloud to Josiah, he tears his shirt and he begins to weep. Because he realizes how far away the people had drifted from God and from the life that God had called them to and from the life that God had wanted to give give them. And he was overcome with emotion. And so he finally gathers all the people together and look at what happens. It says this, verse 29. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar, and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, his statutes and decrees with all his heart with all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. And then look at one other verse here. This is from 2 Kings. It's told about Josiah. It says, neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. So Josiah basically said, hey, we are going to make God's instructions to us, God's words to us, God's wisdom for our lives. We're going to make that the standard and the foundation again moving forward. We're not going to make excuses anymore. We're not going to say, well, that's just who we are, and this is just what we do, and we just can't change. No, we are going to make God's will that he has written for us and how we should live and the way that we can flourish, we're going to make that our standard and our foundation moving forward. And I think we can follow in his example and do the same thing. I think we also need to make God's word our standard and our foundation. So for you, um, practically speaking, maybe that just looks like taking that one issue that you're thinking about in your life and saying, well, what does God's word and wisdom say about it? I don't really know. You know, what does God say about our bodies? What does God say about money? What does God say about our thought processes? What does God say about our anxiety? What does God say about our relationships, about our work, about our jobs, about our vocation? What does God say about all those things? Maybe it's just saying, I'm going to take that issue and I'm going to try to learn and study what God's wisdom is on this. And if you don't know where to start, come talk to one of us. Just come up and ask anybody on staff, and we would love to help you out. You can come, and and we'll point to some stories or some places in the Bible that you can begin to study, and you can begin to read so that you can say, I want to make this, God's wisdom on this issue, my foundation and my standard 
moving forward, partly so I don't get back to this place and I don't make all the mistakes I've been making in my life so far. Maybe it's joining a D group. All of our D groups, as you probably know, if you're part of one of them, study the Bible in some form or fashion or talk about how the wisdom of the Bible can apply to our lives. And we're starting new D groups in January. So if you're not in one now, make a point right now and say, I'm going to be a part of one because I want to start making God's word, my foundation and my standard more in my life moving forward. Maybe it's just saying, hey, I want to read the Bible for 10 minutes every day. I did that one time or I I tried that and I just kind of got boring or I I just got old or it was hard and I just I want to start doing that and and if you don't know where to start, come talk to one of us. We would love to, to help you figure out how to get started on that. And here's why this is so important. It's not because God is up in heaven saying, I really wish they would start reading the Bible and I'm going to give them extra brownie points and there's going to be a discount on heaven if they read the Bible, right? And, or whatever. I don't know. That's not what God is about. It's because there's something powerful about Scripture. There's something more powerful than all of our good intentions more powerful than all of our promises, more powerful than even all of our hopes. When we make His Scripture our foundation in life, it's powerful, and it can bring about the kind of change that we want to see because that's how God works. That's how the Spirit works in our lives. So three questions to conclude for you to think about today. Number one, What role model are you following? If you don't have one in a specific area where you want to see change, you need to find one. And if we can help you, we would love to. Number two, what do you need to purge from your life? We all probably need to purge something. What is it for you? What is it that's keeping you from experiencing real change? And then number three, how will you establish God's word as your foundation. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the example of Josiah. Um, And we confess uh, that we've fallen so short in the past. um, And there's a lot of areas of our lives where it's just a mess. And it would be easy to feel guilty of the mistakes we've made or feel ashamed or feel like you're not pleased with us or you don't love us or that you want to punish us before we can come back to you. And we know that you're not like that. You're a loving father. and You just want what's best for us. And so God, we come to you today. We come seeking you and we ask for your help. We humble ourselves in whatever way that takes. And we ask you to lead us to be like Josiah. We're not perfect, but but might it be said of us, we just tried to follow you with our whole hearts in whatever way we could. pray this in your name. Amen.